Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're talking about the saga of Julian Assange with Richard Hillgrove, who who was hired by Assange in 2018 to lobby British MPs for his release and worked for him until September 2020. You can find Richard Hillgrove at six, that's numeral six, hillgrovepr.com. Richard, welcome to Talk World Radio. Thank you, David. Lovely to be here. Thanks for coming on. So how did you get to to meet and get hired by Julian Assange? Wow, that was quite some time ago. I think back in um, 2016, I first went to see him inside the Ecuadorian embassy. He was there for a very long time. I've been doing a lot of work with um, Vivian Westwood and her family. And she's obviously very good friends with Viv- uh, Julian Assange. But interesting, I actually went in there in that capacity um, with one of her children to see him. Um, but it wasn't for some time later that I actually got hired by Julian Assange. It was at the time, um, and it was via his lawyers. If you recall, um, the Ecuadorians decided to cut off all of his internet access and telephone access, and he was completely shut off from the outside world. And at that point, you know, he likes to sort of be the master and commander and, and call all the shots and in very, mu- very much to his own PR. But, up, you know, at that point, he was immobilised. He couldn't do anything. So I got hired to be his eyes and ears, if you like. Um, technically, it was with the brief of lobbying the British MPs to support him. He had not much support at the time, um, but it was much more wider reaching than that. So it was like a personal publicist role. So so not just privately to MPs, but through the media as well. Correct. Yeah, through the media um, being his representation. Um, but obviously, um, the only people that could speak for him largely were the lawyers. So, you know, handling interviews and, and all that sort of stuff as well. I've been the press secretary for a presidential candidate who did his own thing very much. <laughs> and that's not easy to speak for someone else who's good at speaking. Uh, how, do you, <laughs> how do you do that? No, exactly. Well, if, if they can't argue back, um, it created an unusual window of opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> quite a rare moment of opportunity and obviously what's happened to him now is an absolute travesty um this ongoing saga uh, which is now playing itself out in the courts is just quite a quite a sad situation as far as i can see uh absolutely i want to get to what uh where we are at the moment um but how did it go lobbying mps was was there any support i think his you know he's been tarred and feathered with all of the accusations and a lot of his supporters you know that were once you know he was it was very much champagne socialism at one point where everyone from you know um jemima goldsmith to interestingly sting and trudy styler even supported him at one point i don't know if anyone actually has ever heard that but they were big supporters people put up that bail money and obviously lost it and you know the people then sort of suddenly left the building and no one wanted to even talk about Julian Assange you know in the UK the United Nations had been saying for several times that he needed to be released um the UK was taking a very different stance to it and most of the MPs were sort of going along those lines um very very small numbers of MPs that were you know dissenting voices obviously from the Labour Party point of view um 
all all too little too late you know once they left the ecuadorian embassy there was noises from the labor party the former leader jeremy corbyn but you know when he was actually the leader he wasn't saying a lot if you see what i mean so um pretty much silent silent on all fronts pockets of pockets of support but nothing nothing to write home about basically <laughs> and and you attribute this to the general public in the uk swallowing the government line about assange or that's more or less what i would describe as the the u.s situation well you know i suppose i think in many ways assange has been his own worst enemy um he's very non-partisan and he's burned a lot of bridges with with people and he hasn't always played the pr game so well and i think people just you know they got reminded constantly that they were paying for the bill for all the police officers to be outside and kind of got annoyed with it all um so they sort of fell out of love with julian assange in many ways i think i think in recent times i think people in the uk like everywhere else in the world have started to see that he is you know, as a symbol of our freedom of expression and and the right to be able to publish um what's happening to him is unfair but they kind of don't know what to do about it you know he's been made an example of now he's become sort of the most famous example of you know if you want to leak or if you want to publish uh, be damned and and people don't know what to do about it so even if they do support him they're remaining rather quiet about it and there's obviously lots of global voices that that are supporting him uk seems to be a bit quiet on many fronts when you have done interviews on his behalf with the media it's sort of you up against the media right i mean they're they're against him despite his interests seeming to be those of free media well i think what you're saying was the case but it seems to have shifted um and i'd organized i organized in an event at the frontline club before I departed working for him and his biological father, John Shipton came along and he said, we've seen a marked shift from the media, you know, universally condemning this person who doesn't seem to know where to stop and, and whose side he's on to now it being about all of our right to express an opinion. And I think you know, the perfect example would be the Guardian newspaper in the United Kingdom. And they were condemning us for months and months and months and just you know really having a go at them and now if you look at their stance they say he, sh he should not be extradited uh, in any way shape or form and these are people who are not fans of julian assange whatsoever however they they see the wider view that he still has the right to publish even though we don't like what he has to publish we don't like the way he operates but you know the point is if he goes down we all go down I mean, who's going to feel brave enough to leak a story now when they could get extracted from their home environment and removed to another country for, to stand trial? It's a nightmare. It's an excellent question. Uh, we're speaking with Richard Hillgrove, who worked for Julian Assange. You can find him at 6hillgrovepr.com. Richard, I haven't noticed that shift in U.S. media. Have I missed it? Is it there? I think there's a bit of a malaise, really, on it. I think if just there's all, he's almost become more than a man now. He's become almost a myth. And I think... The narrative seems to have sort of exhausted itself a bit and it's sort of snaking its way towards this this appeal now to decide whether the, the legal process can be reversed and he can stay after all in the united kingdom and people i think have just sort of seen it all and now are a bit exhausted with the narrative so i think people are distrustful too with what they've been told they're not sure whether 
they've been told everything is it is this real is he really going to go or do or do the people who are pulling the strings already know the answer to how this is going to conclude people have just come a bit switched off to the whole thing just for people who've been living under a rock for decades uh can you <laughs> can you give us a, a brief uh, what did he do why did he end up living in an embassy and what is the legal situation now well it's, it's a mixture of things but basically he he published a whole lot of war secrets if you like um and the american government sort of said well you know you put people's lives in danger for publishing all that julian assange has always said that he redacted all of the sensitive detail American government will say, well, no, you didn't. You made people unsafe, and therefore we're going to take you out of where you live, and we're going to try you criminally. And, you know, he's always argued that that's trying to say that he was party to to the theft of information um, with all this data, and he's always argued that he received the data in good faith, as a journalist would, and just published it and had the right to publish it. And that's like a hall of mirrors because it's a he said she said they have got no evidence to suggest that he was party to it they're implying that he was they want a jury trial it all becomes you know cooked up and it's um it's quite a dangerous situation in many ways because it's sort of showing the power of the american government it's acting as a sort of fear tool um you know you upset us and say something we don't like and we can extract you from where you live you know, the fact that anyone can sort of set a precedent internationally now and this same sort of behaviour where the government will sort of burst in and, and sort of make journalists feel like criminals um, is starting to happen in pockets all around the world now. And I think Julian Assange is this sort of living example of, you know, watch yourself. And so why was he living in an embassy and then a prison? And, and now what's the, the situation? Well, obviously, he was living in the embassy because he was protected by being in the embassy and there was all this issue with the um the swedish case which many people think was cooked up and invented as a tool in order to get him extradited anyway but while he was inside the ecuadorian embassy or any embassy that would have received him it could have been a you know it could have been the australian embassy or it could have been anywhere but it happened to be the ecuadorian embassy and they gave him political asylum he was safe while he was in there from from anything happening and then obviously very unusually and uh, you know and i think ecuador will you know it will come back and bite them eventually they breached that trust that political asylum and come out with a whole lot of cock and bull about how he was smearing feces on the wall which just never happened um and you know, he was a really bad housemate all this nonsense was coming out in the media so they turfed him out on the street and now obviously at that point what he'd done it was breach his parole bail conditions and had to serve time for that but obviously now they've got him they don't want to let him go and this whole case with the extradition is now kicked in so the first first round of that was no he's not going to be extradited um you know so then he should have been allowed to walk free but you know they thought well if we did let him go free because he's not being extradited it'd be hard to get him to return to court he's got form <laughs> um <laughs> So they didn't let him go. They kept him in solitary confinement in Belmarsh, which is an extraordinary, extraordinary act. You know, he's just one of yes. those people that that has a certain psychology. He likes to leak. Um, he does seem to be indiscriminate about it. Um, he's quite non-partisan, um, so he doesn't seem to fall on anyone's side. So it's very hard for people to say, well, at least he's one of us. Right. He'll, he'll do it to any party that he feels like 
you know, there's information he wants to get into the public domain. That's his psychology. And I think people just don't know what to do with him. For years, Richard Hillgrove, the evidence that he was some sort of lunatic was precisely that he was predicting that the United States would try to extradite him, that the United States was behind all of this, uh, which seems to have proven true. Uh, and nobody's gone back and said, you know, maybe he was right all along. Well, yeah, like he was like a Nostradamus figure, but... Um... <laughs> It wouldn't take much to predict that he might be uh, wanted in America if they weren't actually that happy. I suppose it, the problem for America is it's, if it didn't stop there, where would it stop? And, and what else would he would he leak and what would he have to say? And he had that anonymous Dropbox, which he had developed, where he could receive data from anyone anywhere and protect his sources, which made him extremely dangerous, you know very dangerous and you know during these covid times what would he what would he be leaking it's just an unknown quantity that had to be stopped as far as authorities were concerned and they just needed to find a mechanism to do it so this dubious um me mechanic that they're using to try and sort of criminalize a german a journalist now that's why it's inflamed everyone worldwide because it just makes no legal sense really ultimately because it's clear he was just you know expressing his right to publish but it's been dressed up now as some sort of criminal act and it's very hard to prove. And um, the, main, the main point is, and I think this must be worrying for him and his family, is what will happen if he does get extradited and gets onto American soil? Can he be given a fair trial? Will he even get to trial? You know, anything could happen. I can't imagine where in the United States he would be given a fair trial. Um, this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is someone who exposed the horrors and lies of wars that were labeled Republican wars in the United States and who exposed the cheating and scheming and unfair political primary elections of the Democratic Party in the United States. Uh, most people in the United States uh, <laughs> identify <laughs> with one or the other of those. Well, and somebody, not, <laughs> you know, I mean, strictly speaking, the, major, the, the biggest group is independence of either of those two parties. But uh, in the media, 100 percent of everybody identifies with one or the other of those two parties. Where is he going to get a fair trial? It's so biased, and no one could say that they're not party to what's happened. It's not going to be a fair trial, no. And I don't think the government ultimately wants him on American soil for a fair trial, which means his life's at risk. You know, you have a situation where I'm not, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but you know, you have a situation where with high-profile figures like Epstein. Um, suddenly die in prison and you know it would be very convenient for that type of thing to happen i'm not saying it would but he's safer on on non-american soil from that perspective that's for sure the united states has to promise no death penalty when extraditing from a slightly more civilized country to the united states right well absolutely and and, and then human rights are to the fore but the, the main problem will be you know there's been a lot of foreshadowing going on in the court cases saying that julian assange is so mentally ill um that they consider him a suicide risk and the first the first trial the reason he wasn't extradited i know it's dressed up as you know the judge saw his freedom of expression but that wasn't actually the reason the judge gave for not sending him to america the first time around it was that he considered him a suicide risk you know his mental health is really poor and i just think um if things don't go his way and he was extradited you know there's a strong argument to suggest if 
people wouldn't disbelieve the idea that you know something might have happened to him from a mental health point of view. You know, they can't you can't rule that out that certain tricks can be played and is he that safe on in another country? And the current status is that he, there has been a ruling that he can be extradited and then there's been a sort of a take it back part way ruling that he can appeal that ruling, right? Correct. Yeah, he can appeal the ruling to the judges at the Supreme Court. So he's got to another stage where he can, can, yeah, but they haven't, they haven't said for sure that they're going to agree to even hear it in the Supreme Court, but that, you know, they're expected to. Meanwhile, the, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture has suggested that he has effectively been tortured by this ordeal, right? Well, he's been saying, you know, Nils Meltzer has been saying that all along, and I, I organised, um, just before this whole trial started, I organised an event at Frontline Club, and Nils Meltzer attended that, and he was, he was speaking. So it was James Goodale, the former um, New York Times you know, defence counsel was speaking via um, video link, but Nils was there in person. But he's been consistent all along, saying this is shocking. I mean, he's actually written a book about it all now as well. We'll right. to see it come out as a film at some point. Uh, I, I, w I would if it were Hollywood making it, but uh, maybe somewhere else. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, it, it, it seems like there's a shortage right now of people doing what WikiLeaks was doing, that WikiLeaks isn't doing it. I, I mean, I'm convinced that there are secret U.S. Uh, documents suggesting that they are well aware Russia is not about to invade Ukraine tomorrow, and that we would see those documents if somebody were doing the job of journalism that Julian Assange was doing. Instead, we've just got Russia's about to invade any minute without Without the balancing act tools, I agree with you. I have to agree with you. I think WikiLeaks as an organisation got, you know, you've got to look at where the, where the, follow the money and you've got to look at the situation back in 2010. A lot of people would argue that it's become almost like an asset, if you like, to show, to show people and silence people. And the whole thing's been taken over, if you like, and WikiLeaks is no more. I mean, it's pretending to still function, but it's not really functioning. And... And this whole sort of drag it out treatment of Julian Assange, you know, it's like a crucifixion in many ways. You just watch, watch him and watch what will happen to you. And like you say, everything's become silence. Who on earth would take a risk now if they did have the information and data and publishing it um, and being tracked and hunted, hunted down and um, this type of thing happened to them? So you're right, we're not seeing the other side anymore. And, and, and it's... Sorry, and, and if Julian Assange is punished uh, worse than he already has been. Uh, I mean, what is going to be the impact on journalism worldwide and on the conduct of governments worldwide? I mean, are other governments other than the, the imperial U.S. forces going to think that they have the privilege to go into any other country and extract a journalist or an editor or a publisher and prosecute them back in their own country well, where they maybe have never been? It does set a precedent. You're right. It sets a precedent. And if you can be basically any country can be a bit peeved and they want to bring a case against you and you can be uplifted. Um, not America doing it, but, you know, Brazil is angry or, or, or China perhaps angry about something that's been said. Um, 
we're, everything's just getting shut down, but it's kind of parallel with what's happening with the digital citizenship that we're starting to see come into play. You know, the way COVID's been handled and how it's acted as a tool of fear. Um, I even think a lot of the, you know, climate emergency stuff all seems to be fear narratives that seem to be in play designed to to shut things down in many ways. And I think I'm quite frightened by this digital citizenship where everything we say is algorithmically censored. Um, a lot of that sort of stuff's going on. I mean, you see the Joe Rogan podcast and, you know, thank God for Joe Rogan. But <laughs> maybe Joe Rogan's the new WikiLeaks. How much more are we going to be able to, to hear about before the algorithms get to, get us all and we're not not hearing stuff anymore and it's interesting because i one of the assignments i had early on when i started working with julian assange his last ever public speaking gig he did from the ecuadorian embassy and it was filmed and he gave me the video of it and said get this out and and i got it broadcast at the inaugural world ethical data forum in barcelona at the end of 2018 and interestingly you can see it on the internet if you google it but um julian assange it's quite haunting hearing it back now, but he said, we are the last generation to be free. And I thought, wow, you know, what a prophetic statement. But, you know, all that seems to have come true in the space of three years since he said that. And, and if this incredible growth of, of censorship and redirection of, of right. eyeballs on the Internet doesn't work, and if extradictions and trials don't work, uh, right. People used to say you were a lunatic if you suggested the United States might try to kill such a person. We know now that the the CIA, at least it, it seems uh, clear that the CIA had a plot to kill Julian Assange. And it seems conceivable to me that there will be a push in the U.S. media if Assange is never convicted by a U.S. court uh, to to kill such people rather than deal with uh, the problems of of legal trials, which obviously don't achieve justice. Yeah, we've seen we've seen the situation with um, with Epstein being conveniently uh, su suicided, <laughs> um, and for, and Assange is obviously there's been a foreshadowing about him being a suicide risk in the first place. So it would it would go with the narrative if something happened to him of his own making. And um, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or suggest anything. I'm a bystander now, but um, no one wants any of this to come to court, really. And I think he's a lot safer on British soil um, than, than going to America for that reason. And it's not that if he got to trial, there wouldn't be a fair trial. It's just what would happen prior to that, that is an absolute unknown quantity. And if extradition is ruled out, is he free? Does he still face any British or Swedish charges of anything? Um, for what I, well, he served the um, the jumping bail and all that's technically served. So, yeah, I mean, unbelievably, yeah, he technically could walk free and, and start leaking again tomorrow if, if that happened. But um, can you really honestly, after all the theatre of what's gone on, imagine that where he'd go back to his apartment and jump on the wi-fi and and start off again you know if, if he put his hand up and said look i promise you know it was on a on a idealist idyllic island without any wi-fi and promised to behave um they'd probably allow him to go free you know because if the united nations is saying he must be free yeah you know 
we're getting a situation where America is not having it and, and neither has Great Britain. We're in a, so, so, international law so, says he's an, an innocent man now. You know, what we're going through all this for. But can the authorities allow him such an unknown quantity in this day and age to be almost like just free reign? That just it creates a phenomenal problem. But can you picture the great democracy spreader and bringer of the world into the rule of order banishing a journalist like Napoleon to an island? And can you picture Assange going along with that? Uh, no, I, no, I can't. But I'm just I'm thinking of the only solution that where where it seems to be a win-win. He's got his freedom, um, and the authorities don't feel like tomorrow everything's you know the rug's going to be pulled out from under them. So that's why. We've seen this sort of snaking through the legal process and delay as long as possible. And at the moment, it just seems to be quite well orchestrated in one direction. Um, what could save him? And you certainly wouldn't get him coming up with any agreement or any pledge to 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 retire from the internet and retire from what he does. That's who he is. You know, he's a man of principles. Nothing they've ever published at WikiLeaks has ever been proven to be fake. You know, in this age of fake news, which is everywhere, now we're just swamped with disinformation. WikiLeaks stand tall. That's why they've won so many journalism awards. Nothing has ever, it might upset a lot of people, it might polarise people, but nothing has ever been proven to be fake. It's just too damn real. Right, right. Nor has it been proven to be Russian propaganda. No, no not at all. There's no Russian propaganda. He's he's done leaks against Russia as much as he has America. Of course. Stuff. He really is nonpartisan. He's just been subjected to ultimate propaganda and been used by people as well. I mean, people were giving him information which helped with the American election. Okay. Hey, why don't you use WikiLeaks? And then next minute, they don't even know who WikiLeaks is. You know, it's, it's nonsense. He's been completely used. But I think in many ways, he's... He doesn't present this way, but he is very much a vulnerable person. You know, I think he's very much on the spectrum. Um, his psychology is to to just leak. That's what he does. Yes, and he do, he doesn't know. He doesn't I mean, he have any barrier to doing that? He'll just go ahead and do it. And he can be a little bit mischievous with it. He just does it because he wants to do it, and he sees it. But it's all real. It's all true. It's just really inconvenient for everybody. <laughs> well, everybody in power abusing well, the it. Abuse, just yeah, not the, power, the powerful, I should say. Yes, agreed. <laughs> it's, it's it's very convenient for the rest yeah. of us uh, and very useful. It's nice and to know very what's actually going on. Yeah, but it's quite rare nowadays, isn't it? So, so with just a minute left, Richard Hillgrove, what can people do who want to help? Do we need more public pressure to have him free and free to do what he was doing? Uh, and and is that achievable? I think there needs to be some different, some power centres come forward, and maybe some of the people that support him in the past. I mean, people like Lady Gaga went in and saw him at Ecuadorian embassy, and some really high-profile people have all turned their backs on him. And I think some of those, you know, big names could actually say, well, hold on, what is really going on here? And actually sort of put their hands up and actually try and make a difference. And I think everyone's turned their backs. And... Uh, that will that will change things. And I think he's been kind of occupied a little bit too much by the left, the hard left as well. Uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, the don't extradite Assange. They're all very kind of socialist left wing, and they don't really resonate with the mainstream media. So there's not really a powerful voice in the mainstream media, whilst that group it seems to be speaking for him, and that's not him anyway. 
if you see what I mean. I think some people with a sense of um, hum humanity that see what's going on to this person need to come forward. People yeah. with influence and power need to do that, not just fringe groups. Well, maybe we all need to turn from lobbying MPs to lobbying celebrities and see maybe. see where we get. Uh, <laughs> we've been we've been speaking with Richard Hillgrove. You can find him at numeral six Hillgrove PR. Richard Hillgrove worked for Julian Assange from 2018 to 2020. Richard, thank you very very much for coming on Talk World Radio. Lovely to be here. Thank you, David. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.